how's it going? Welcome to Alumless. It's Friday, 1130, our usual time. I am Ryan Catherwood, your host for the show. With me always is Garth, I mean, Chris Marshall. <laughs> hey, Wayne, party on. <laughs> yeah, party on. I, there's so many people that won't get that reference. I'm not even really sure why I whipped it out in the uh, opening. <laughs> it was not there. in the script, I can tell you that. <laughs> it was not in the script. We like to follow our script. But uh, it's great to see you, Chris. It's great to have everybody joining us today. We've got a great guest in Annie Quaddy from University of Texas at El Paso. We've got an exciting show, and we're going to cover lots of topics, including merging alumni engagement and donor engagement. We're going to talk about what it's like working at a Hispanic-serving institution at UTEP. And then we're going to have our Friday Cheers section in the bonus segment of the podcast version. So make sure to pick up the bonus segment. As you all know, uh, you're listening in on the CMAC page on LinkedIn. This is a CMAC production. and uh, Chris, how is CMAC today? You are CMAC. We are CMAC. We are, but uh, it's good. It's good. We're celebrating a birthday in our house. I know you have some recent year family. Uh, my son turns 13 today, so we're off to a water park right after this recording. So <laughs> That's awesome. Well, I do want to mention we have a fantastic sponsor of, of Alumless. Protopia is, uh, I, I work as an independent consultant and with Protopia as well. The role of AI in today's advancement shop is on the front burner for every senior leader these days. And it's not just ChatGPT. For the last three years, Protopia has helped university partners like Duke and the London School of Economics scale engagement with alumni and donors using AI. And Protopia's technology enables simple, scalable engagement across all four case modes for engagement without ever asking a student, alum, or donor to sign up for anything new it's a lead generation tool for advancement while also a valuable resource for the campus community. Visit protopia.co forward slash alumless for more information and to check out their special offer just for alumless listeners. Uh, Chris, and I also wanted to mention that um, Max at Protopia was just telling me he's presenting with um, Carrie Jones and Wallace Spence of the London School of Economics yeah, okay. at the yeah. ACE Europe conference. Very really cool. getting a lot of traction. And Max was actually just sharing with me that they made Protopia available to all the attendees of the conference. Love so that, that idea. Yeah. Yeah. So you'll be able to go as an attendee, you'll be able to ask a question, and they'll send the question to the folks at attending the conference, best position to answer it. Really exciting for Protopia. Good. Uh, but uh, so, Chris, you know, it is the end of summer. It is time to move in. I just saw on LinkedIn, Facebook, lots of pictures of university move-in days. I'm sure your feed included a lot of those. Yep, same. Do, what do, you, do you have any memories from those first couple of days, uh, either as an alumni leader or even going all the way back to your college days of those move-in first few Thanks days? For that. Thanks for that all the way back. All the way back. We, we took dirt roads and horse and buggy when I went to yeah. college for first and freshman <laughs> move-in. Um, so I was an RA. I, I spent time in the residence hall system as an upper class person. So I did many move-in days in depth. And even as a staff member at Lehigh, we used to all volunteer and help move in. It was almost an annual thing. But my fondest memory was way back to my freshman year. The dorm I was staying in, many of the dorms where I was uh, were all named after former Lehigh presidents. And the dorm I was staying in uh, freshman year was named after Henry Sturgis Drinker. And everybody referred to it as Drinker. So the sign, as we pulled up to drop me off, this is now the fall of 84. Uh, so things were different then. 
bedsheet sign hung from the windows said, welcome drinkers. So that was, that was my, that was my arrival to campus. So welcome drinkers sign, meaning the people who are living yeah. drinker, of course, nothing to yeah. do with the activity. But as an RA, you have to be a little concerned about that. You know, I was an RA too for two of my years, my sophomore and junior year. I really liked coming back to campus actually a week early. It was kind of a little more quiet and yep. really have a chance to help the new students move in. I really enjoyed it. And as a freshman, I recall orientation and I was sitting next to this guy who ended up being one of my best friends for the entire college wow. duration. We had the same pair of reef flip-flops on at the same time we're like oh hey you like your flip-flops and he's like, yeah i like yours too and so that was it like that was the beginning of a lifelong friendship and in fact you know 20 years later he's coming to stay uh in a couple weekends with his family while our That's kids cool. play in the same soccer tournament so very cool these things happen in those early days yeah uh but today we're going to talk with uh annie quaddy from utep about the challenges of merging alumni and donor engagement and what's happening in the field that's propelling more and more of those teams to be more integrated but i wanted to ask you about that you know sort of broadly speaking what's what's going on out there that makes people think more about this particular integration around alumni and donor engagement yeah, it, it, I, I put it in the trend category that we're, we're seeing an increase in more of a constituency lens, which includes other audiences, certainly donors, um, you know, thinking about an integrated advancement team. So alumni leaning into the donor side, that's been going on for some time now. But, you know, I have a client, for example, who's um, they, they don't refer to their population uh, as alumni only. They, they call it constituent engagement and their audiences are alumni, families, fans and friends. Alumni in the three Fs is how they think about it. And I'll, I'll, I'll never forget when I was working with Indiana University, we've had some folks on from Indiana. We're going to have another on coming up soon. Uh, during their strategic planning process, we were trying to define that audience. Is it alumni, parents, students, faculty, staff? And it ran all the different, and it's too many names to put into a statement. So they ended up with saying, uh, their, their phrase was, for all who love IU. So if you had an, the affinity, to, uh, you was you cared about it. it. Doesn't matter where you're from, whether you're an alum or not. It's if you love it, we're going to be you'll be part of our, our constituency that we care about. That's how they defined it. So interesting. I'm seeing that that lens getting broader is what I would just describe as the trend. Yeah, a few schools kind of dropping the word alumni from it at all. You know, just being the yeah. office of engagement. I know that's true at the University of Virginia. We had Erica Arroyo from the University of Miami who leads yep. the office of engagement there, and it's really kind of thinking holistically, right, about yep. engagement and less about specific stakeholder groups. Even though you know the alumni constituent group is a really important one with different types of needs and values, uh, we're going to talk more about that. So let's bring Annie out to the show. It's just me. I clicked on me and not uh, and not Annie. There we go. Hey, Annie, how's it going? Hey, it's going great. Good to see you all. Thanks for having me. Great to I'm have you. Glad here. you could be on the show today. Thanks for joining us, and thanks for the folks listening in. Matt Winston and Sally Sistar and uh, Max is joining us too. So please be sure to ask questions in the chat on the LinkedIn group, uh, LinkedIn event, I should say, and we'll be happy to answer those. And better yet, if you have any questions for Annie, it would be uh, grateful if you'd pop them in there. But Annie, you and the team at UTEP are working on merging alumni and donor engagement strategies, which includes annual giving, marketing and communications, sort of picking up on Chris's thoughts. What propelled you to make this move or sort of help guide the advancement organization with that move? Yeah. And first of all, I really like the for all who love IU. I think that's a really um, that cool? 
great way to put it. We're kind of thinking about it in the sense of, of minor nation and the same idea of, of sort of anyone and everyone who wants to support our institution. Um, but Ryan, to your point, to your question, when we're thinking about this merged integrated strategy, what we're really focusing in on is philanthropy focused engagement at scale. And when it comes to thinking about like, why now, why are we doing this? I think there's a, t- first of all, there's the the sense of why the institution. And then I also like, why do I care about this a whole lot? Um, for the institution, this idea really just goes in line with our values. Um, UTEP is all about access and excellence. The majority of our students are first gen, the first in their family to go to college. And we are one of the only open access R1 institutions. And so when we think about removing barriers to engaging with our alumni network, with fellow minors, especially after graduation, having a paywall in the sense of alumni dues or having a location barrier based on in-person events only or only locally based events really doesn't align with our values as an institution and what we really stand for. And so by making this shift, I think we're really just starting to live into our values. Um, Personally, I started my advancement career in engagement, starting with student engagement, then recent grad, went on to run a small alumni association for a small college. Um, But it really wasn't until I got into major gifts and planned gifts that I really felt my own personal um, engagement in my work really increase. And so I think there's also this component around making this shift in order to think about recruitment, retention, and staff engagement for alumni or just in general engagement professionals overall. Because I think many of us at our institutions would say that for those core staff members who are not a frontline fundraiser, there can be a little bit of a harder time getting them to feel like they're really driving the mission, feeling really connected to what we do. And shifting into this integrated approach, I think, I hope, I imagine, is going to really increase our team engagement as well. I think it will over time. I've had a chance to work with you for the last several months. I'm really excited about what you all are doing at, at UTEP. But um, well, maybe you could share. How's it going so far? And, and have you encountered <laughs> any roadblocks? Certainly. Anytime you're making change, there's going to be, I don't know, I don't know about roadblocks, but speed bumps for sure. Um, overall, it's going really great. You know, it's it's wonderful because I have phenomenal teammates in our division. Um, wonderful, wonderful humans who are resilient and open-minded and intrigued to explore what if. And that I'll take that any any day, right? But there's certainly going to be some speed bumps and some challenges with identifying which activities do we downshift, which activities do we fully sunset? Um, how do we shift our focus of some of the activities that we really want to keep, but we need to get them to, to fit this new strategy? There's a lot of pieces to that. And then, of course, as you all know, there's also a volunteer board with our alumni association board. And so it's one thing to kind of make shift uh, make this shift and this change with our staff. It's another thing to gain that support and trust of the the volunteer board. That's critical as well. So, yeah, that's a big piece. That's, that's always a challenge, right, Chris? No, I, I mean, I mean, that, I mean, that's 
can be more challenging than the staff component. The staff part, you you risk losing talent, but the right. volunteer part, you can you, you risk losing you know the the interest or the support of a group of people that were had a different mindset about how they engage with the institution, and now you're asking them to shift. What I have found though, the best process through is when you get somebody on the on that board, yeah, to actually lean in with you on it is where the rest of the volunteers will get on board with you. Absolutely. And we've also been thinking about what are the early wins and how we sequence some of this change so that we have objective things to point back to, to say like, hey, look, you know, trust us to to kind of build that commitment and that demonstration of we know what we're doing a little bit. Yeah. This sounds a little too trite, but um, what you just described, in my opinion, when you, as a leader, defining leadership is getting people to go do something and make it think, make them think it's their idea to go do so. I mean, it does <laughs> a little bit try, but, but there's, that's a part of it. I really believe yeah, it. So, so absolutely. I'm sure you've set up, I know your, your title and your role, we're gonna talk about that in a little bit is pretty, um, has a lot of breadth to it of what you what you cover. But uh, uh, my guess is you've done some planning and setting goals for the year and looking ahead of what you want to have as an outcome. If you had to pick one goal that you want to achieve <laughs> this coming year, what would it be? Focus. Ah. It's not going to be anything <laughs> quantitative. It's just going to be to be focused. That is the theme, the intention, what we are manifesting this year for the team. Um, and with that comes boundaries. So we have, I think, previously fallen into the trap like many teams do. This is not unique to UTEP, not unique to engagement teams. Um, but we have fallen into the trap of adding without considering what needs to fall off or stop in order to keep making following, you know, this hmm. new strategy. You're the only school I've ever heard have this problem, Amy. <laughs> only one. No one has ever experienced this before, right? Um, and so, you know, with that, we are really trying to get out of that reactive stance into that proactive stance. And for us, that means um, really asking our team to do a deep dive into planning in a way that we haven't necessarily done before. And then committing to like, here's what's on the roadmap for the year. And outside of some very, very, very specific, mostly gift announcements, um, exceptions, like we can't deviate from this. If we want, you know, if, if those are brilliant idea or new technology or whatever comes out over the next year, we need to be prepared to say, yeah, that's great. We'll add it to the roadmap for next year because um, our team has certainly felt the team engagement effects of not setting those boundaries and holding those boundaries. And that's something that needs to change. Yeah. The other thing I have found in that is the ability to say no to someone on your team who has the idea yes. is easy relative to a volunteer, a donor, a high-level donor, your boss, the board of trustees, or the president. When it comes from them to say no, not right now. We need them all on board. To say, you know, have your back on that focus that you're talking mm-hmm. about. Love it. Yeah, hey, Ryan. Real quick, I'm going to ask for a yeah. challenge. Uh, anybody online who's listening live in the chat, if you can put in. What I always say is the three most important words in <laughs> alumni engagement. If you can put that in the chat, whoever puts it in first will win a CMAC prize. We'll figure it out later what it is. But I was gonna say, do we have CMAC prizes? I I, I we got shirts, we got, oh, we got that's stuff. True. We'll we <laughs> uh that's true. Well, Annie, you and I have known each other for several years now, preceding uh my 
consulting work, right? When I was back at Longwood, we had an con ongoing conversation going, I know you're passionate about modern approaches to engagement and technology. And um, I wanted to sort of ask you, when you think about the supporting technology that you think is really important as you're bringing together these engagement strategies and practices, what comes yeah. to mind? What's most important for you all? Yeah, so my first answer is really, really basic. But if any shop doesn't have this piece in place, that has to be a building block first. And that is um, updating and shifting your Microsoft usage to the cloud variations and getting away from network drives and onto the cloud side. Um, when, you know, I know we've all experienced these, especially pre-pandemic, version one, version two, version three, or you like add your initials to the end of the Word doc, and then you can't keep track of which one was the most recent. Yeah, that's that's so silly. So um, I didn't tip her first... off to say that, Chris. I didn't, I oh, Ryan, I'm thinking that. about you. you I didn't tip her that. off to say that. <laughs> <laughs> we hit an ongoing really? debate. We, we may or may not have that problem here at CMAC. Uh, uh oh. <laughs> Oh, well, yeah. yes, that's one of the first things that when I when I joined UTEP, it was during the pandemic. And my goodness, that was something that we shifted um, away from rather quickly and fully embraced SharePoint, OneDrive, Teams. There are so many resources that are already available to so many institutions through the Microsoft platform and the enterprise license that every university has that if your budget is tight, Go into a deep dive exploring that. There's so many free ways to learn more about them. Um, but that's been a huge one. The next is project management. I can't say it enough. I don't care which platform you choose. Just choose one. Stick with it. We use Asana. It's wonderful. I don't know how we functioned before we had it, um, quite honestly. But being able to see all the different pieces of a project, who's owning it, bringing that transparency into our work and into how we collaborate has been so critical for us to be able to identify earlier when there's going to be tension, when there's going to be something that's holding us up um, and getting ahead of it sooner. And then the last piece I'm going to throw out there um, is AI. It's, I mean, even if it's free chat GPT, um, Things I've been telling the team have been, you know, just keep working sm uh, smarter, not harder. And there's so much potential there with that product that we just have to, we have to start embracing it. Um, so we've used it to draft a press release or draft a job description. I even dumped... Um, some data in there without any identifiable information, of course, um, and told it like, hey, give me a summary, help me synthesize and understand what the heck this all means. And it was incredible. So that would be the other piece that I would share. And I'd also add something that you're working to deploy there, Annie, is a sort of advanced marketing um, software, uh, tools like Salesforce Marketing yeah. Cloud, tools like Eloqua that really help track the work that you're doing through email communications, social media oh, gosh, communications. Yeah. Uh, I know how important that is for your plans for the team. And um, 
yeah, I think it's uh, adding to those two first really great suggestions or three great mm-hmm. suggestions is, is that type of technology that we often find is missing in advancement organizations. It would really be beneficial to scaling engagement to have those in place. Yes, uh, just buy yourself a little extra time for implementation. Because some yeah, of I mean, it's, it's, a it's little bit fair. of a learning curve, right? There's a learning curve and not maybe not every uh, program is ready for that type of right. software. I think you do have to be working up into that place. Uh, but so, Annie, you're an AVP of Advancement, Associate Vice President for Advancement, and leading the shift from traditional engagement to integrated philanthropy-focused engagement. This includes Marcom and annual giving, but you're also managing talent and people operations and finance, and you're doing this all as a full-time remote employee. Uh, those There are those out there who might be saying, eh, this should not be attempted, but um, it's working at UTEP, and I think that that's fantastic. But maybe what's happening? How are you making it work? For sure. Um, so first, I do want to clarify full-time remote. By that, we, I mean, because every place has little slightly different variations. Um, I do not live in El Paso. I do not live in Texas. I actually live in Missouri. Um, but I do come to campus with some regularity. So about four to six times a year, I'm in town for a week, fully immersed, Um and so some could call that still hybrid, whatever you want to call it. That's that's what our arrangement is. Um, I'm not the only AVP on our team who works out from another state, nor am I the only AVP at the university who works outside of El Paso. So um, the first and foremost thing is that we have a university president who believes in and understands the advantages and the opportunities as well as the cost to being open to flexible work arrangements. Um, and she also allows her her VPs on cabinet to run their business units as their own. And so it's up to each individual um, VP how they want to approach flexible work and not something that's dictated from the university down, which I know not everyone has afforded that opportunity from the beginning. Um, and then from our VP level, same thing, understands the opportunities, understands both the advantages and the disadvantages to having someone who works away from um, campus. But in general, for us, having flexible work arrangements for our entire team. Um, So while I live outside of El Paso and outside of Texas, our entire team is hybrid. Um, But for us, it has been super important for recruitment. And it's been amazing to see the difference that it makes to our candidate pool or to be able to land a candidate that we otherwise would not have been able to. Um, retention, you know, I think there's research out of Stanford now that's saying flexible work is equivalent to like an 8% salary increase for some folks. Um, so retention is certainly a piece. I know, I know some of our teammates who have gotten offers elsewhere and have chosen to stay because of the flexibility we provide. Um, the next generation of leadership, we certainly know that 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 generation is going to demand both in-person and work-from-home opportunities. And it would be silly for us to ignore that. And lastly, and I know that this is um, important to our VP in particular, um, if we have any hope in diversifying our industry, especially at the leadership level, being open to flexible and remote work arrangements is critical to supporting leaders with marginalized identities. Um, 
And so, yeah, so it's working. I think it's fantastic. I'm glad yeah. it's, I'm so glad it's working. And I, and I wish more universities had your approach. I suppose I do understand the counter argument, but sure. I think, you know, it just makes a lot of sense and it would certainly be the environment I would want to work in and that I would hope to lead personally under the same circumstances. Chris, how do you feel about the concept of the fully remote or hybrid work arrangement that Annie described or other sort of similar arrangements? Yeah. I was smiling and nodding my head and want to say amen, hallelujah to everything you said, Annie. I mean, <laughs> yeah. you know, if I were to say to Ryan, he has to move to Bethlehem, PA to have a job with CMAX, you and I can meet in person, he wouldn't do it. And you would, yeah. well, I, I don't want to speak for you, but my guess is you probably would not move to Texas, let alone El Paso, to take this job. And yeah. um, it, it, it allows us the, the recruitment of talent, of really talented people, retention, as you mentioned, all those things. Uh, it's about time we got to this point in our industry. But like you, Ryan, I understand the counter argument about having people in the same physical location, and I get that. But the pros and cons, if you weigh the both, to me, it's just far outweighs on the pro side. So I love that we're seeing it. Um, I, I love that UTEP and your vice president has allowed. You should give the vice president, she or he, a shout out for this because that's a great thing to have. Who is your VP? I will. Yeah, Jake Logan. Yeah. Good for Jake. Yeah, it's Take that approach. Yep. Yes, it, it is a phenomenal approach. Um, do, do, do his counter other vice presidents take a similar or are there some that are more traditional and got to be here on campus? It could be sure. Me. Might be having to do with the role itself, but. Yeah. So cabinet's a little bit split and um, they've been coming around to it. So institutional advancement and Jake were certainly the ringleaders and the trendsetters at UTEP. Um, but for example, University Marcom hired at least one, if not two, AVPs that live outside of El Paso now as well. Um, and the, the VP for Marketing and Communications had told me, like, hey, I'm so glad that that Jake did it first. Yeah, he really, like, that, yeah. yeah, you know, and I know at some points, like, there was some tension and it is hard. And, you know, there's, there's pieces and, and times where, um, I know Jake's had to go to bat and and everything around supporting this arrangement. Um, and as our executive leadership team, we talked about the easiest option here would be to tell everyone they have to come back into the office full time. That would have been the easiest, least difficult, like the number of hours our executive leadership team talked through all the different scenarios and everything else to really commit to our our hybrid arrangement. But at the end of the day, that was what we knew would be best for our teammates yeah. um, as humans too, not just as yeah. their positions or their roles on our team. My, my voice in that discussion would have been, it might be easiest for us to make that decision to save all this time, but we'd be spending right. all of our time hiring new people because you have a mass yeah. exit. This is what would happen. Yes, yeah. Exactly. Constantly backfilling positions because people are looking for these types of hybrid exactly. arrangements. Yeah. yeah. But with that in mind, Annie, when you do visit campus, you know what do you do to make yeah. the best of those times with your team? Well, one of the most important things is that the things that I'm doing when I'm on campus, and this actually doesn't apply to just me, I reiterate this to, to my team as well. When you're on campus and you're in the office, try to be doing things that you otherwise could not do from home. So that really is the best time to have those more collaborative meetings, to have those brainstorming sessions, to get out the whiteboard and draw all over it, those sorts of things. Um, so I'm really intentional about any meeting that's going to be 
completely virtual and I could have been doing it from Missouri, I try to shift either before or after the trip. Um, those trips are also exhausting and energizing at the same time because they are jam packed with meetings. Yeah, I'm typically going from like 7 a.m. until 7, 8, 9, 10 o'clock at night because I'll try to prioritize the time that I have with my teammates or teammates across the division during the work day. And then oftentimes our leadership team will get together in the evenings so that we can continue to have more time together while we're all in person. Um, and, you know, to, to all the points that we've, we've already mentioned, when I started in this role, um, it was during COVID, right? And um, I think everyone understood why I wasn't there in person at the beginning. And then there would be, um, as everything started to open up, there'd be teammates who'd be like, so when, when are you going to move? And I was like, well, I'm not. Um, <laughs> and, you know, I definitely think there was some skepticism at first, especially um, at a place like UTEP where there is such a familial and tight-knit community to have someone who's not going to move there. I think there is definitely some skepticism, definitely some like questioning of my commitment. Um, and even though I'm first gen myself and my dad immigrated from Cuba, I very much present white. And, um, I think there was definitely this, like, who is this person who does it? Who's not from our community. She doesn't know anything about El Paso. And so, especially at the beginning, especially that first year when travel opened up, I tried to travel significantly more, um, and closer together than I do today. Um, because I really wanted to be intentional and help the team understand that I'm not just committed to our team, but I'm committed to this institution and to the larger community as well. Um, and that also goes to my counterparts across the university and making sure that I was also intentional with the HR office and the budget office and student affairs and whoever else, so that I could also build that trust in those relationships while I was in person to lean on them in, when I'm virtual. Awesome. Well, we're going to keep the conversation going in our bonus section. We've already been talking for a fast 30 minutes. Uh, thanks for everyone for joining us, Monica and Adrian and Todd. Thanks for checking in. Indeed, Mizzou made. Uh, thanks for, uh, great to have you all joining the feed. Before we do, uh, Chris, who is we're actually going to take the Labor Day weekend off, the Friday, and we're going to be back on off, September right. the eighth with a with a legend in the space. I would say it's pretty fair. We're actually it's we're going to skip um, the first, uh, and then we'll pick back up again in the regular routine, which would be the fifteenth. Is when Rob is on. So just okay. keep that right. on your we'll, we'll get it out on LinkedIn and other places. But Rob Shoss from the Performance Enhancement Group Alumni Attitudinal Study. Many people have worked with Rob. Several hundred institutions have done a PEG survey, as they call it, AAS. Um, and we'll have Rob on to talk about surveying your alumni. Before yeah. we sign off, I want to. Uh, Adrian took a shot at the three words. While well, she mentioned three very important words: relationships, connection, affinity, and inclusivity. All very important. My three most important words for alumni engagement are focus. Focus and focus. So, Andy, thanks for having focus. You're <laughs> welcome. Those are real, those are real curveball, there, Chris. It was. Uh, <laughs> all right. Well, thanks everyone for joining us. We'll pick things up on the podcast. Uh, have a great weekend, and see you after the holiday weekend in September. Bye. Thanks, Annie.
Thank you. Hey, Chris. A couple of weeks ago, we were at a conference together in New York City, and everyone was buzzing about how AI is going to play a role in shaping the future of advancement. Yeah, it's it was the clear theme of the conference and on everyone's mind. And when I'm at a conference like that, I do my best to talk to everybody I possibly can and hear what they're thinking. Everyone I talked to, and I had a list of 53 people I ended up bumping into or meeting with, AI was on everyone's mind. It was definitely interesting to hear the conversation about AI level up recently with ChatGPT coming into the news. Because actually, we've been talking about AI and machine learning with Max and the team at Protopia for the last few years now. Yeah, well, you know, when I looked at Protopia a couple of years ago, I was blown away by what it, it, was, it seemed like a huge leap forward in technology and how we engage with our alums and connect them with our students and our donors. Um, it, I think it's actually a great lead generation tool. I've been recommending it to my clients now for a couple of years, and it's a solution that should be investigated by everyone for sure. And I tell my, I try to stay agnostic, but I tell my clients, make sure you look at Protopia. It's transforming the way we think about and how we measure alumni engagement. And already that's why leaders at schools like Denison, LSE, Duke, Pitt, VCU, Florida State, and others have partnered with Protopia to use the power of AI to help students and alumni connect with each other. And we are psyched to have Protopia as our first presenting sponsor. Uh, to me, to me, it's a no-brainer. If I were leading an alumni relations shop today, it would be one of the first things I would do would be to install this technology and have it connect our alums to each other and to our students. We recommend all alumless listeners head over to protopia.co forward slash alumless. That's P-R-O-T-O-P-I-A dot C-O forward slash A-L-U-M dash L-E-S-S and schedule a time to chat with the Protopia team. They'll be happy to talk shop for a few minutes and share more about their exciting AI-powered technology. All right, we are back with Annie Quaddy. Associate Vice President for Advancement from the University of Texas at El Paso, UTEP. She's wearing, is that UTEP orange? Our listeners can't see that. But it's kind of actually, it's a little yeah. brighter orange, the UTEP. It's more CMAC orange, isn't it? The UTEP color. <laughs> yes, it is more CMAC. Yeah, it's a little brighter orange. But You've got, you've got more of the Hook'em UT orange uh, going, I think. You don't have to point it out, right? Don't say that's that. true. But everyone just saw you on the live show. <laughs> I know, I know, I know. It matches nicely, though. I think with the CMAC orange. So for, <laughs> but Annie, so for those that aren't familiar with UTEP, other than they probably have heard the name before, I know UTEP has some famous sports graduates. Is Tim Hardaway? Is that is he a famous graduate basketball? Does that sound right? <laughs> that's going way back. People don't. That is think, going uh, way back. I'll look while you're answering. Yeah, it was uh it was Texas Western when we um had the big basketball win. Okay. Because I feel like I remember Tim Hardaway, the famous basketball player, used to have this special move called the UTEP two-step. And oh. uh so there may be there may be some did I get that right? You got it. God, okay. Man. Yeah, sports that. and stuff are really my it's forte. Um, it's, that was a sports ball reference. But, <laughs> uh, so, Annie, so tell me a little bit about the school. Tell listeners what UTEP yeah. is like and what the alumni community is like. Just sort of bring people in to, to the university. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
Um, well, if you haven't Googled it, you should, because campus is beautiful. We have this gorgeous Bhutanese architecture, um, which has its whole other side story that I won't get into right this second, but it's a beautiful campus um, right on the border. And so when I am there, honestly, I hear Spanish more than English when I walk around campus or even when I'm in the office at times. And so um, we are 84% Hispanic, over 90% diverse. Like I mentioned earlier, more than 50% of our students are the first in their family to go to college. Many cross the border every day to come to school. Um, so it is a very unique campus experience. Um, having come from the University of Missouri, very different than what that experience was like. Mm -hmm. And so um, the other piece about it is the people are so, like more than being kind and welcoming, they're warm. They are so, just so kind and welcoming. I can't think of a better, a better way to describe it than warm because I'm familial and um, it's really, really quite unique and special. Um, I tell Jake, my VP, all the time that I think UTEP has ruined me for higher ed um, because it is also like the quintessential what higher ed is here for, what higher ed is supposed to do in terms of providing social mobility and uh, access to students. Yeah. That, thank you for that. That's great. And I really enjoyed getting to know UTEP as well. Hope to make it to campus at some point. But yeah. Chris, you know, as Annie was alluding to, UTEP is America's leading Hispanic serving university, and the student body is 84% Hispanic. Given that's the case, do you think that the advancement office should have a website in Spanish and should be communicating and creating content and sharing content in Spanish? And I know and we've talked a little bit about this, Annie, but I guess I just wanted to hear Chris kind of chime in on that. What do you think about that? So a very elaborate answer um, to this. My answer is yes, <laughs> absolutely should. I uh, wish you, you don't like those answers when they're one word, Ryan, but um, absolutely. People are, should. people are here to hear you wax on eloquently yeah. about yeah. those things. Well, that know? I mean, my, my assumption is the expectation is that English is the primary language in terms of instruction um, mm -hmm. and, and, and interactions on campus. However, for many in that population, English is a second language. And so right. to, in order to appeal to that population, we absolutely have to have. And my expectation would be that you probably already do. Annie, is that a stretch or do we have? Actually, not Spanish yet. Um, yeah. So that is something that came up with um, university cabinet, especially around um, building out our strategic plan. And, you know, when we hired our VP for marketing and communications at the university level, um, those are things that came up. Ultimately, they decided to to keep everything in English. Um, one of the things that we've been trying to do in advancement is find opportunities where it really makes a lot of sense to um, switch it. So, for example, there was one particular video that we did where it was being shot at the Mexican consulate, and it just made sense. Like, let's just shoot this in Spanish and put, you know, the subtitles and, and captions. Um, and so it's something that we want to start exploring and testing out a little bit more. Um, but ultimately, from the university standpoint, yeah, we're keeping the website and everything in English. Even on the admissions side of it, is, is there a, a Spanish language option on the admissions site? So because all of um, our search engines now will do that translation for you, sure, no. Right. 
Yeah. Okay. So one one could on their own. Yes. Got it. Mm-hmm. Very it's sort of an interesting work. thing to be thinking about because yeah, I'm not yeah. sure I've worked with an institution where it kind of seems like a natural thing to be doing would be, to be right. speaking in another language, Spanish in this case, right? And with such a high percentage of Hispanic serving students, but I realized that would probably get into some interesting uh, political and yeah, right, right. like cultural and some mm-hmm. challenges that maybe you just don't want to wade into that. But it feels like in order to communicate with your alumni, have an ongoing conversation with them, it feels like that would be uh, an advantage. But well, we yeah. get there. It also depends on the generation of the alumni as well. Um, we do have this entire cohort of gener- uh, of alumni who had this experience um, where you really embrace becoming an American, and you really, um, you know, there there are some unbelievable stories about a school in particular who used to have the students go out back and, and bury Mr. Spanish in in the yard and say like no you're done speaking spanish now you speak english and so there are some sensitivities around what like each generation experiencing different components and embracing um those different parts of their of their culture in, in unique ways um and it's something that is also very unique to el paso um they're certainly true that there are many um immigrants to the United States who probably have felt similar ways. I mean, my dad um, himself was, you know, very much became an American. I did not learn Spanish growing up um, outside of taking it in high school, like those sorts of things. Um, But in El Paso, there's all these additional layers to it, whether you grew up across the street in Juarez and continued to live there, or whether you were born on the El Paso side. It's just, it's really interesting and really fascinating. Um, And it's something I'm really grateful that my teammates have been open and vulnerable and um, trusting to kind of share more about what what that's all like. To sort of follow up on that thought, I was going to ask you from a cultural standpoint, the what Mm -hmm. differentiates the students and alumni population in terms of values and what has that meant for engagement and philanthropy? Yeah. So there's definitely um, the familial components that I don't think we have previously um, brought to the forefront of our engagement strategies that I'd like us to start exploring more because it seemed like we were more similarly trying to mirror the traditional alumni activities, homecoming and the like. Um, But our population in particular is very familial. Oftentimes we have students and alumni living in multi-generational homes. Um, And so thinking about how we focus engagement that also supports the entire family, I think is an opportunity that we haven't really um, dived into. There's a really interesting podcast, which I'm happy to share with you both, um, that this uh, PhD candidate did on how families navigate the college experience, how Hispanic families, how immigrant families navigate um, the college on the admissions side and what that's like for them and how um, in particular for enrollment, considering how you're engaging the entire family in the experience of choosing to go to college um, is really critical. And on the alumni side, when that student graduates from college, 
it's the whole family's celebration. Like it was an endeavor that they all part like were a part of. Um, and so that is as meaningful as an experience as for the student as it is for the parents and the grandparents and Tia and Tio and whoever else. So um, I think that's one component that's really unique to our institution. Yeah. We've talked a lot about that. And I find it really fascinating. The idea that the graduation, they'll get students get these medallions and, and these medallions are really mm-hmm. valued as for the student, but also through their families. And, and uh, I think it's, it's really a compelling thing. What, how do you emphasize those elements and bring them out within the engagement strategies to create a totally unique approach at your university? Yeah. Another part of your role, Annie, is leading talent and recruitment efforts for institutional advancement there at UTEP. What challenges do you face in that area? We we talked a little bit about that in the live show section, but maybe you can sort of zero in on a few others. Yeah. So fortunately for us, retention has not been as much of a challenge for us right now. Um, I contribute a lot of that to our flexibility with our team um, about how we we approach hybrid, but um, recruitment is certainly still a challenge, um, and that's something that you know we're still trying to continue navigating and using remote work as an opportunity to mitigate that. Um, and so, for example, our alumni population is primarily in El Paso, which does make it hard when I'm recruiting for a fundraising role to say like, yeah, you can live in Chicago. No problem. No, it actually needs to come live in in El Paso because otherwise you'd be commuting back and forth um, to go on your visits when you could just be living here and, you know, going to coffee down the street every day. Um, And so recruitment is definitely something that we're still sort of working through Um, The other piece that's been a challenge and something that we're trying to be really cognizant of and balance is our, uh, the advancement industry in general is very white, very cisgendered, um, oftentimes men in leadership roles, a lot more women in the rest of the organization. You all know this. Um, And so one of the things that we're really cognizant about um, when we recruit for roles is how we are influencing the diversity of our division um, in terms of not only regular demographic inf- data, but also um, the diversity of our experiences, whether someone's worked at another institution or not, Um and trying to balance that out really delicately, given the demographic that we serve and the population in, in which we, you know, work. Um, and so that's just something that is a little bit unique to UTEP and to our institution in general. Um, a lot. When I started at UTEP, I was the only other person outside of our VP um, who had worked at another institution in higher ed. Mm-hmm. We have a lot of great, great, great institutional knowledge in our teammates who who have been there for a long time. And you also don't know what you don't know until you've experienced it someplace else. And so when I first started recruiting, we had some, some leadership roles that we needed to fill. We had several senior director positions we needed to fill. 
And it was challenging to think about how I was going to be recruiting for those positions, prioritizing outside of UTEP and outside of advancement experience, and knowing that that likely meant I was hiring some white person um, to come to UTEP and to run this area, what that would do in terms of um, how our salaries are reflected with our, the demographics of our team. It's just very complicated and something that I, you know, our leadership team was very cognizant of and thinking really clear, like thinking really hard about how to navigate that. Um, and so part of what we've been trying to do is balance out bringing in outside experience while also skilling up the wonderful teammates that we have who have phenomenal institutional knowledge, but haven't worked anywhere else. I, I want to build on that a little bit. You hit on mm -hmm. a couple of questions that were coming that you've hit on, but let me expand it. Um, yeah. I'll, I'll give, you, uh, give you an example here. When Ryan and I recruit people to be on this podcast, mm -hmm. without trying, we could find high-level thought leaders, white men in the space. Mm -hmm. and, and we yeah. keep track. We actually track this. We Men, women, mm -hmm. all the different things. And it's hard. You have yeah. to try a lot harder. There are plenty out there, but you have to really try harder to get representation across all different you know, categories. Um, so you present a diverse set of perspectives and thoughts and so forth. Um, right. what's your advice to the industry, others outside, mm. maybe listening to this podcast who, or struggling with diversifying their workforce? Is it a matter of simply trying harder, looking other places or, or and, and things like being more uh, willing to allow for flexible work arrangements and so forth? What, what's your advice? How would you tell other leaders out there? So I think it's a, it's a combination. It's twofold. First is being open to transferable skills. I've seen a lot of institutions really shy away from, especially for frontline fundraisers, transferable skills as an option. Oftentimes it's like, I want five years of major gift fundraising experience. Right. It's like, right. okay, well, right there, now you're limiting the candidate pool. Um, and then to your, your point as well, certainly flexible work arrangements is going to be something I mean, there's plenty of research out there. You can go to Google and find a bunch of articles that will tell you that um, for people with marginalized identities, having the ability to work from home has been really helpful um, when navigating un like unconscious bias with teammates who, right, right. you know, there's all sorts of things. Um, not to mention, you know, thinking about um, some of the teammates at UTEP and imagining them moving on from UTEP and taking a leadership role at Wisconsin or wherever, they likely don't want to move out of El Paso. You know, I just mentioned that the the culture is very familial, the multi-generational homes, right. got a million cousins around. You don't necessarily want to move out of El Paso. Um and so to be able to continue to advance in your career without having to leave that family support system, that's huge. Yep. yep. 
it's a complicated picture. And I think the remote work uh, dynamic really helps benefit women as well. I think I read some recent, uh, you know, uh, studies that shows just how impactful it has been for remote work to have women rise up through more leadership roles and opportunities and retain women employees. And so I think it's even more broadly important than uh, just making sure uh, marginalized communities are in, in a diverse workforce. Yeah. But uh, well, let's let's shift gears a little bit. Let's go to our Friday cheers section. Annie, I'll, we let our guest go first. What is your <laughs> Friday cheers? Um, okay, so my Friday cheers is this book called Outlive. Um, it's Hold it up again so I can see, we can also, well, Outlive, the science and art. Yeah, read the whole thing. And the author. Yeah, the science and art of longevity by um, Dr. Peter Atia. Um, it's not an insignificant book; like it's kind of a beast, um, but it's really, really good. Um, just around all things health, but very holistic, including a whole chapter on emotional health and mental health. Um, mm. And so, it's been something that is really timely for me being in this leadership role, really cognizant about the ways in which I'm demonstrating work-life balance and taking care of myself um, to my team. And so this has been a really helpful um, resource to have. I think I remember you saying, Annie, when we were just, we were talking the other day about it, that the book yeah. really emphasizes sort of exercise over diet, wasn't it? Because I, I always yeah. think of it the reverse, right? How I do too. Is. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it's a very research heavy book, hence why it's such a beast to like look at. Um, but yeah, it really has a heavy emphasis on exercise over nutrition, which to your point, Ryan, I usually, I remember always hearing the thing, like, it doesn't matter how much you work out in the gym if you're eating like crap, um, that sort of sentiment, um, has a lot on sleep, um, and kind of talks through some of the, so part of the premise is what do you want to be doing in your marginal decade? So when you get to retire before you, you know, get really too weak to be able to like do things in life. So it's the idea of both lifespan as well as what he calls health span. And um, he poses this idea of the centenarian decathlon. So what are the activities that you want to be able to do? And then how do you train for them now? So if I want to be able to retire and go backpacking around Europe, I need to be doing X, Y, and Z things in order to be in well enough shape when I'm 65, 75, whatever. So I heard I think about this. I think about this stuff all the time. My, my mom passed away a young person uh, as uh, she had a frontal temporal dementia. And, but she uh -huh. also had these, uh, she's like all the cancer preventing foods were on the refrigerator and she was walking every day and she, you know, was really, and, and that was sort of a unlucky, right? She mm -hmm. was just unlucky. And, but, putting luck aside, there are lots of things that we can do in anticipating those years later on in our lives to ensure that we're living much better years. And I look at my my elders and my wife's elders, and it's kind of clear that the ones that have spent more of their younger years training 
for mm-hmm. these older years for, and and how you know those folks we wouldn't necessarily have watch our kids versus others who they might i'm being careful here in case you know our, my family <laughs> listens to the podcast which they do not uh but uh anyway yeah i find the whole thing really interesting and i also am really interested in the blue zones of the world right mm-hmm. the, the diets of the in the places of the world where people live the longest and what are they eat what are they eating and uh, you know, it's less meat, it's lots of beans, it's, um, you know, just these really specific diets that contain a lot of similarities in uh, what they're eating and how they're eating it. Really interesting. I appreciate that uh, uh, for your Friday cheers, Annie. How about you, Chris? Um, let me just real quick respond. I, I had a relatively young uh, client in their 30s, 40s, who went on one of the travel programs that you know schools offer these trips around the world. Yeah. And she was noticing the people that were on that trip were all people who didn't do what you're talking about. We're on an older stage mm-hmm. of life. Couldn't get on and off the buses. Couldn't take the excursions out. Ah. Couldn't do the thing. And she said, I'm going to do these now <laughs> or be in shape for when that time comes. So it was a real life sort of version of what you're reading and describing there. So I love that. So, mm-hmm. so mine's a little, little off this because it, it, it struck me this morning. I had something different. It struck me this morning though, Ryan. Um, it's what's happening on Maui right now. The the fires are mm-hmm. crazy, and, and it hit me personally. I mean, this is going to sound you know lame in in many ways, but I have a client. Uh, it's an independent school on Maui. Client uh, school's called Seabury Hall, and I was mm-hmm. scheduled to go out in October. We had planned a vacation along with it and all the stuff, and of course, we've canceled that trip. We're going to maybe take it in the spring of this year. Who knows when? Because of this, they're not even close in the mindset of thinking about the work we would do in the advancement area to try to improve a school when the entire community has been devastated. And yeah. what it hit me this morning though, and I'll, I'll, I'll get the exact link. Yeah. My, my text to my wife and she sent it to me um, was a web, a podcast we were listening to this morning as we were getting ready. And it's, it's called the daily. Um, many people listen to it through the New York times, but this one is called yeah. how a paradise became a death trap. So mm-hmm. on the daily it's their episode. And it's a firsthand account of a gentleman who escaped from his community Lahaina, I believe he was, but it talked about him, you know, hopping on a scooter and picking up his neighbor and getting around parts that were already on fire, getting to um, to the um, to the wharf, the docks where the water was and hiding behind a shed on the water. And eventually that got to, they dove in the water, swam to a jetty and the Coast Guard. I mean, it's just not only is it an amazing story, but this guy is so articulate and so emotive when you when he talks about it, you're like you're there. So. It puts everything in perspective for me when you yeah. hear that firsthand yeah. account of someone who literally had to swim and bring uh, 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 his neighbor with him and uh, almost died along the way. And it makes me think of everything else is just insignificant when you when you hear that kind yeah. of story. So, uh, well, in so the way that the and climate changes impact uh, yeah. the fact you know the winds yeah. are up and there's a hurricane to the south and it, just all these conditions when you thought just, it was the end of the story Ryan you yeah. don't realize jumping in that water was not like this little placid lagoon he was it was hurricane waves and they were hesitant to go in the water thinking they would drown when they got to the jetty and got picked up by the coast guard the coast guard said we're not done yet we got to get somewhere where it's not on fire we have to get through storm waters in two, over the next two hours before we can say we've made it. So it, yeah. it, for Go me, for it, was it. A, it was a refocusing on <laughs> what's important in life. So how a paradise became a death trap. The daily August 18th, 2023 was the episode. So, hmm. Well, mine is uh, a totally uh, pleasure reading 
chatter for this Friday. It's it's the end of the summer rather than the beginning. I I figured, you know, I should probably should have made book recommendations for fiction back when we were first talking about going to the beach for the summer rather than at the end of the summer. But my two favorite books uh, on this earth are The Alienist and The Angel of Darkness by Caleb Carr. And and I really love historical fiction that have (laughs) characters from history actually in the novels, but the story itself isn't true. Uh, And I also have a, admittedly, I'm a fan of serial killer uh, stories. (laughs) <laughs> and so both of these stories follow a serial killer mystery. It takes place in New York City in the late 1800s. And you can, it's before ballistics, before modern uh, detective techniques take place. So they just begin to talk about them. And it's a hunt for these, uh, both books, it's a hunt for a different killer. And they actually made the alienist into a 10-part uh, Uh, show on TNT, which I think you can still find well worth watching. But to read the books, you can really feel yourself in the tenement slums of New York City in the late uh, 1800s. Mm. And they're so well written that uh, they're my books, my recommendations. Anyone who asks. What are the titles again? Yeah. So my favorite is called The Alienist by Caleb Carr. The Alienist refers to sort of an old reference to the early psychologists of their day. Uh, and the other one is called The Angel of Darkness, which is his follow-up book with many of the same characters. He only has written two books with these characters in them. Those are the two of them. And they are well worth your time and energy if you love that type of um, sick serial killer historical fiction. I'm going to order them right now on Amazon, Ryan. They're excellent books. Right? You'll love them. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, those are three very different Friday yeah, cheers, yeah. which I think is why I wanted to do them. It's just something yeah. different things for people to be thinking about as they wrap up their week or whenever they listen to alumnus to have some things, some recommendations or some thought provoking things to be considering as they move ahead. But um, Annie, thank you so much for joining us. You did a great job. We were thankful to have you. Uh, Chris, great yeah. to see you as always. We'll wrap can, we, can we out? Annie and tell the listeners that Annie was a little nervous for this session and she You can totally it. tell me that me on that <laughs> you one. Killed yeah. You killed it. You yeah. weren't nervous at all. I wanted to see the fully unnerved where the swear words came out, but we'll get to that another time, Annie. <laughs> another time. Another time. Next time sure. you need to swear. Uh, okay. <laughs> That's easy to do. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, thanks for joining. Thanks for listening. Great to have you. We'll be back again on September the 15th, I believe it was, with Rob Shoss from the Performance Enhancement Group, a legend in our space. And till then, be well. Talk to you again soon. Bye. Take care. Bye.